Hey, uh, good evening at Rockbridge PM, and welcome all of those of you who are watching online on, on Sunday, or some of you watch on Saturday through our digital ministry. Hey, we're just glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Matt. We're navigating still through 1 Samuel, so if you have your Bible, you can open it up. We're getting close to the end, 1 Samuel chapter 26 and 27 this weekend at, at Rockbridge. And hey, we're kind of, if you've been here, you know, we've just come kind of out of a season that we've described as sacred assembly where we've sought the Lord just for who he is above and beyond what he can or might do for us. And, and it's been a rich time. And, and as you might have noticed in some of our campuses, we're, we're experimenting with some things that we got from Sacred Assembly and trying to integrate some of that into even our, our corporate worship experiences every weekend. Like it makes, makes starting our service a little bit with some silence or pre-service time a few minutes before the actual service time that when you come into the actual worship, Worship venue to begin to just focus our minds upward and, and maybe in some silence and things. So that is all designed because we need to be in the presence of God. And we need to figure out how the presence of God affects us as we go out into the real world, which we started that conversation last week with David and how he had to deal with real problems like Nabal. And it'll sort of continue this week in 1 Samuel 26 as we wrestle with something that I think, it, whether you're a Christian or not, you, you understand this dynamic. So question, the question that, that I'm going to ask is, what makes a person a Christian? And we put a lot of effort into answering that question. And of course, we would say that you have to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your God, as your Savior, as your leader, or I, I like to say, give him the sins of your life and the steering wheel of your life as well. But there's another question that we're going to wrestle with. Okay, if that's how, if that's how to become a Christian, what makes my life Christian? My day, my relationship, attitude, words, my reactions, as I say, it's always easier to act like a Christian than react like a Christian. So there's a difference sometimes between becoming a Christian and actually being a Christian. Becoming a Christian, hey, when I was eight years old, that's my story, I became a Christian. But I can have an attitude that's unchristian. I can respond to my spouse, my wife, my kids like a non-Christian. I, I can have words that come out of me, reactions that come out of me that aren't Christian. And, and, and so non-Christians see that, right? And they see hypocrisy. I see that when I look myself in the mirror. And, and so part of our challenge in, our, in the church world is how do we experience the presence of God, sacred assembly, prayer time in the morning, whenever you spend some time, you know, dedicated time with God, how do we spend time with God and then it affect us in the real world and shape us in, in our day-to-day? -day? So we can become a Christian, but how do we actually be a Christian in a world? Well, let's just be honest. It can be hard to be a Christian. That's the tension of 1 Samuel 26 and 27. One chapter, we see David being a Christian. One chapter, 27, God's not even mentioned. And David, if you didn't know the backstory, you'd think, man, David's not a Christian. And we live in that tension as well. The word of God for us today. 
1 Samuel 26, we'll pick it up in verse 2. Saul, that's the one who's kind of hunting David, accompanied by 3,000 of the fit young men of Israel, went immediately to the wilderness of Ziph to search for David there. David is a fugitive. David has the promise that he will eventually be the king with Saul as the current king. Saul camped beside the road at the hill of Hakalah, opposite Jesehamon. David was living in the wilderness and discovered Saul had come there after him. David went to the place where Saul had camped, and Saul was lying inside the inner circle of the camp with the troops camped around him. Then David asked Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Joab's brother, Abishai, son of Zeruah, who will go with me into the camp to Saul? So somehow David is going to go into the enemy camp, sneak in, CIA kind of thing, operative kind of thing, and just go into the camp of Saul. And Abishai says, I'll go with you. Now, at first pass, this looks foolish and, and dumb and crazy that the guy who wants to kill you, the guy who's trying to arrest you, you're actually going to sneak into his camp while he's surrounded by his best of the best soldiers, his elite special forces. What are you thinking, David? And, and I, I think it raises a fundamental question that, that we're going to ask is, you know, the question is, why are we here? We live in a fallen world, a broken world. We live in a world with enemies, and we live in a world with problems. We live in a world with challenges. So for David and Abishai, why go into the camp of Saul? And as we'll see, they go into the camp of Saul for two different reasons. Abishai has one reason, and David has, has a completely different reason. And I'm just saying for you and I as Christians, when we go out into the real world, when we are surrounded by real enemies and real suffering and real adversity and real problems, why do we go out there? I mean, listen, I, I grew up in the tradition of, hey, you need Jesus because you don't want to go to hell when you die. If that is the whole purpose, then why, when I gave my life to Christ, did God not pull me out of this world with all its brokenness? Why am I here 40 years later, why are you here if you've given your life to Christ, if the whole point is just to go to heaven when you die? Is it to go out in the world and make money, make a name for ourselves, get married, have some kids, enjoy some social security, retire, and then die? I mean, what, what, why are we here? And that's the question we just need to lay before us. Because some of us will discover, maybe we're, maybe we're here because of the reason Abishai says, I'll go with you, David, versus the reason David's going into the camp. So that night, as we move forward, that night, David and Abishai came to the troops and Saul was lying there asleep in the inner circle of the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. Abner and the troops were lying around him and then Abishai said to David, today God has delivered your enemy to you. Very similar to the cave story if you were here, that's in chapter 24. Let me thrust the spear through him into the ground just once. I won't have to strike him twice. Abishai goes into the camp of the enemy to win, to finish the fight, to win the war, to be what we would call in our day and time successful. I go to work to make a name for myself. I go to work to make a living. I'm here to have fun. I am here to do what I think I need to do. I do me, you do you. I'm here, you know, I'm here for practical reasons. Abishai goes into this enemy camp to kill Saul to win the battle, to win the war, to end the deployment that all these guys with David are on away from their families or away from their hometowns. He goes in the war to win. And so why are we here, Christians? 
why is David here? So David, David, are you here for the same reason Abishai is there? And David says, no, but David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Don't kill him. For who can lift a hand against the Lord's anointed and be innocent? It's not my place to kill Saul. It's not my place to take Saul out. David added, this is what makes this chapter 26 different than 24. He says, as the Lord lives, the Lord will certainly take care of Saul. The Lord will strike him down. The Lord will fight this and win this battle. Either his day will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish. I don't know how God will work it out, but God will work it out and it's not my job to work it out for God. However, as the Lord is my witness, I will never lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. Instead, take the spear and the water jug by his head and let's go. And what David's going to do, and we'll see it in a speech later, David is going to show Saul grace. So why are we here, Christians? Why do we live surrounded by our enemies? Why do we live in a problem-filled world? Being a Christian means we're willing to and, and, and committed to displaying the difference. There should be a difference between how a Christ follower goes to work, how a Christ follower does marriage, how a Christ follower handles conflict, how a Christ follower handles money than the rest of the world. There should be a difference. And so we can become a Christian but being a Christian means we know we represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Being a Christian means we have a different value system. We have a different reward that we're looking for. Abishai is looking for the spoils of war in defeating Saul right then and right there. David is looking for a reward only God can give. So why are we here? I mean, Jesus himself tells us this. In his longest recorded sermon, he says, you're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but you rather on a, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for everybody that's in the house in the same way. You let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You will see Saul's response to David's grace later on in the story in a speech Saul gives. So let your light, David, shine before others. So why did David go into the enemy camp? To be a light to his enemy, Saul. We try to get away from our enemies. David goes to his enemy to show him love and grace. Why are we here? Why didn't God call me home when I'm eight years old and give my life to Christ? Because there's light that God wants to shine through me. And it's the same for everybody here today. So I'm going to ask you this question. Why do you go to work tomorrow? Why are we here? Being a Christian says we're going to display something different. Light into darkness. Light into darkness. Now, being a Christian also means something else, that we are now willing to say, God, you are in charge of the outcome. I am responsible for being obedient. In the camp with your enemy asleep and unaware of your presence and a spear by his head, it's very tempting to take matters into your own hands, is it not, Abishai? 
but we're not there to represent just ourselves or the, we're there to represent God and we're responsible for obedience. And David says, listen, I don't know how I'm gonna win. I don't know how I'm gonna become the king. I have no clue. I haven't known since I was out in the pasture. I haven't known since Goliath. I haven't known since Saul tried to throw a spear at me while I'm playing music for him. I have no idea how I'm gonna become king. I just know God has said it will happen. I trust God. I'm gonna be obedient in the moment. And that's true of us that we're not responsible for how events turn out. We're not responsible for how certain things turn out. We have to be faithful in the now and trust God for the then. I'll even go a step further. We don't have to know how God will work in order to do what obedience requires. There's a lot of, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. Yeah, you do, be obedient. I just don't know what to do, obey God. I don't know what to do, trust and obey, there is no other way. That is what we're called to do. Now into that, I, I gotta warn us, and I have to warn us, and I, I'll call this a warning about utilitarian faith or making God, church, Bible a life hack. Here, here's what I mean. A lot of people want, you know, hey, I want God to help my life be better. Like God, God's some new power tool that you got at Home Depot or something, and you know, he's gonna make that part of your life easier, right? Like it, it's, I, I just want what's practical, I just want what works. And God is just part of your life and you pull God off the shelf like you take a tool off out of the tool bag, right? Or your toolbox and God helps me in this situation. That's not the kind of faith that's saving faith. That's not the kind of faith God asks for because God wants us in a relationship with him. So we have to be aware of just going with what works. We're gonna see Saul next week. Don't miss next week. Saul talks to a witch and has a seance. Woo! right? And it works. Doesn't mean it's right. Sin sometimes works. Trying to control a certain outcome. God's not after utilitarian faith. Now, let's think about something else. Let's think about something else as it comes to, to being a Christian. I want you to think about your last major decision or your last reaction to something that was unpleasant or somebody who, who upset you, bothered you, your, the last attitude that you remember adopting. So hold that, hold that scene of your life in your mind. Just hold it there. And I'll go a step further. <clears throat> Let's go to Romans 8. Now the mindset of the flesh, remember the flesh is kind of the a part of us that God doesn't have control over. The flesh is the me, myself, and I part of us. The mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, is life and peace. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So having and operating by the Spirit of God is a sign that we are Christ's followers, that we have become a Christian and are now trying to be a Christian through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it look like when the, the Holy Spirit is upon us and working in us? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So let's go back to that last, time, that last decision you made, that last attitude you adopted, that last reaction that came out of you. As you made that decision, as that attitude formed inside of you, as that reaction was coming out of you, did we at ever once put our mind on the Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, what does love do? What is joy? 
peace, patience, kindness. How does goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control show up and inform this decision, shape this attitude, or determine my reaction to this person in my life? Now, if you're like me, I probably did what came out of me, what's natural to me. I just got upset. I said what was on my mind. I told it like it was. I did what my gut told me to do. I did what my dad always did. I gave it right back to him. Then we weren't in the spirit, right? We were Abishai. Let's kill him. Becoming a Christian happens because the spirit of God happens to our heart and shows us the love of Christ and the gospel. So we give him our lives, give him the steering wheel. Being a Christian, we set our mind on the things of the Spirit, which, say, which means we say, hey, God, before I speak these words, where does love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control, how does it affect? Before I have this attitude, how does love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, how does that affect these words? Before I react to this person, this navel, how does love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control come out of me? That's being a Christian and displaying the difference that Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, God as your Father makes in your life. Now, there's another part of being a Christian because when you do life this way, there's a cost. You might get taken advantage of. You might get laughed at. You might not get the job. You might not get the immediate gratification that your flesh really wants to have. David has men that he's going, because he does not take the spear to kill Saul, he is going to have men who are not going to like that decision. Because these men, Abishai represents them, want to win and go home. Let's get the war over with. See, I, I think sometimes when we invite people to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we don't tell them there's a cost. And Jesus said, you need to tell them because I don't want them to be half-hearted in this. He says, he says it this way. He says, if you're wanting to build a tower, don't you first down and sit the sit, count the cost because what if you don't have enough to complete it? And so there is a cost to being a Christ follower in this world. There's a time when if you, do, if you choose gentleness and self-control, guess what? You're not going to get to speak your mind. If you choose gentleness and self-control, you know what? You're not going to get to have sex when you think you're ready to have sex biologically. Because the Lord says sex belongs in marriage between a man and a woman. Biologically, you're ready to have sex as soon as you go through puberty. Well, I'm missing out, I'm missing out. You better count the cost. See what I'm saying? Becoming a Christian versus being a Christian. But, 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 being a Christian also means God can satisfy. And God is a rewarder of people who seek him. So it's not just the cost. Let's, let's keep counting the cost. Listen to Paul. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing value 
and worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So because I have Christ, I can say no to my flesh. I can exhibit self-control. I can choose patience. I can choose joy. I can choose gentleness because I have Christ. And this takes us all the way back to chapter one. And I told you, this is what the whole chapter, the whole book of the Bible, 1 Samuel is about. God plus something is gonna make me happy, secure, and have a strong identity. For Israel, it's God plus a human king, a human politician, and they got Saul. And next week, their guy is going to consult a witch. How did that work out for you, Israel? So you and I, we put other things in here. We may not put a human politician, although some people do. We, put, we might put more money, a better job, getting married right now, whatever. We may put something in there. And the message of David, the message of Scripture is God, Jesus, plus nothing still equals happiness, security, and identity, all you ever need. Praise the Lord. So David knows God's going to reward. Dave, go read some of his psalms. Lord, you're my portion. My cup overflows in the shepherd psalm of 23rd, 23rd psalm. So it's beautiful stuff. Now, now let's take a little bit of a segue here. Because there is a question that you've asked, I've asked. Why does God allow evil and suffering to continue? Because by David not killing Saul in the cave and here in the campground... There's going to be more war, there's going to be more suffering, and there's going to be more bloodshed because of Saul's nature. And we're in that too, right? So why does he allow evil to continue? The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God delays to give more people time to come back to him and to repent. David shows Saul grace in the cave and in the cramp gown, hopefully that Saul might repent. Why did Jesus, who had the power to, why did Jesus go through with the cross? The, mo the most representative act of evil it's unspeakable evil what Jesus endured. He was innocent, did nothing wrong, and he dies a horrific death. That's evil, right? So we could get to the cross's payment for our sins and the resurrection's validation of our adoption and our victory so more people could come to repentance and be part of the kingdom of God. Go back to the point, first point. Being a Christian means we display the difference. God is allowing things to continue so we can continue to be salt and light so people can see our good works and hear the good news of Jesus through us so more people come into the family of God. We're being a Christian out in that world. It's powerful stuff when you see it and embrace it. So the next couple of verses, David and Saul speak, and, and, and those are significant. I'll give you a highlight from David, a highlight from Saul. 23. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. That's what I, we were just talking about. David counted the cost, but he knew God would reward. And, and then Saul says to David, you're blessed. It's my son, David. You'll certainly do great things and you will also prevail. Saul again says, you're gonna win. Then David went on his way and Saul returned home. And I'll just say it this way. Being a Christian means we have to live by a focused faith. 
David knew in that situation God was going to reward his righteousness and reward his faithfulness. Too many of us, we can't, the reason we're not a Christian at work is our faith is not focused at work. The reason we're not a Christian in our dating relationships or in our social media is because our faith is not focused. It's one thing to say, I believe in God, yeah, I believe in Jesus, yeah, I believe in Christmas and Easter, yeah. It's another thing to say, okay, how does my belief in God affect what I put online, what comes out of my mouth, what I do with my body, how I spend money, and how I go to work? Focused faith. Focused faith. For most of us, that means when you go to work, what promise of God are you living by? When you think about your tongue, your body, what promise of God is guiding and directing that? So our faith has to be focused. Now, chapter 26 is over. High point, David. Man, he looks the part, right? He looks like the man after God's own heart. He looks like a Christian in a terrible situation. He is displaying the grace of God, the patience of God to an evil man who wants to kill him. An enemy love is the epitome of a mature disciple of Jesus. Can you love and forgive your enemies? That's the epitome of spiritual maturity. I mean, he looks great. He is a Christian. He's arrived, right? You never arrive because in chapter 26, is called the godless chapter there's no mention of God so I mean he's at the epitome and then look at where he goes in one verse so just whoop one scene over David said to himself one of these days I'll be swept away by Saul whoa whoa, what you were just in his enemy camp He just told you, David, you're gonna, he's going to lose, you're going to win. And now you're, David, getting swept away, not by your faith, but by your fear. Listen, listen, there is nothing better for me. Whoa, whoa, what did you, what, you just said God would reward you, and now there's nothing better than for you to escape immediately? David, have you forgotten your purpose? David, have you forgotten why you're here? David, have you forgotten the faithfulness of God? But I'm like David too. So are you. So he said, so look, and, then, and then of all the places we're going to go and escape, let's go to the land of the Philistines, our enemies. David's mama's like, I didn't raise him to do that. You know? I mean, it, it's crazy the places we can go when God is not a part of our equation. And in that I mean, if I gave everybody the microphone and said, yeah, you got 30 seconds to say, hey, the places you've gone without God guiding you, we'd all have a story, amen? And then, here's the, then he says, then Saul will give up searching for me everywhere in Israel and I'll escape from him. So what, what are the lessons for us? Remember, we're trying to be a Christian day in and day out. Faith has to be renewed often often there are too many of us in the american church who became a christian and then just stopped growing church became optional proverbially our bibles collected dust and our faith just stagnated and maybe you're here this weekend maybe for you sacred assembly but you, you recognize what I'm talking about because it's not me talking to you, the Holy Spirit's talking to you, and you're like, you know what, I haven't renewed my faith. 
That's why it's stale. And you're like, you know what, Matt? I've been talking to myself more than I've been listening to God. And, and, and there's friends in my life that, that said, why'd you do that? Why did you go to the land of the Philistines? What were you thinking? Your faith needs to be renewed, and God's a God of renewal, praise the Lord. Now, there's some gauges in your soul and in your body you need to check. The status of your hope, and then the reality of weariness. Hear me? As Christ followers, we always, always, always have hope. As a Christ follower, when your hope feels diminished or even defeated... That's a warning sign that your faith needs to be renewed. And it's also a danger sign the land of the Philistines is ahead of you. There's a reality. We're finite. We're leaky. Biologically, you know, God wired us to need to sleep. That means we're not Superman and Superwoman. When you're weary, you get closer to sin and stupid. Faith has to be renewed. Now, the second thing this, 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 this one or two verses tells us is faith comes by hearing, and our hearing must be checked often. And hearing, it come, or faith comes from hearing, and it's not just hearing anything, it's hearing the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. Notice the passage started, David began talking to himself. Every one of us in here should do an inventory of our self-talk. Does it sound like you're a Christian? Or does it sound like you're afraid? Does it sound like you're an unbeliever? Does it sound like you've been listening to the word of God? Does it sound like you've gotten in an echo chamber and voices are just telling you maybe what you want to hear but not what you need to hear? This is why, church, we've made this so simple. We'll text you Bible passages to read and study every day. So what the voices in your head cannot just be satanically implanted, which he can do, are not just the voices of culture, but the voice of God can be in your head to contest the voices that say, escape and go to the land of the Philistines. This is why we need people of God in our lives who are willing to speak the word of God to us because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And this is why we need church membership that is meaningful. This is why we need biblically-based, biblically Bible-centered small groups. This is why we need those things. And even for our students, we have an amazing event called Disciple Now. We need volunteers, bridge builders for it. But this is an event, and our students, look what it is, learning to seek God. Dad, you're going to teach your boys how to shave and tie a tie. Could you lead them to come here so they can learn how to seek God? You're going to teach your kids how to tie their shoestring. And some of our parents, we don't want to teach our kids how to seek God. Do you want to go? No, nah, not really. Okay. Do you ask your kids if they want to go to school and give them a choice? So why would we not lead our kids to seek God? Because we know, we know what do we know? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes from the word of God. What do we know? Faith has to be renewed. Okay? So we're trying to be a church that allows that renewal to happen and allows us to consistently, day in and day out, week in and week out, hear the word of God. Now, when am I not living as a Christian? I'm not talking about becoming, I'm talking about being a Christian. I'll give you three things. 
when I shrink and narrow God's will for my life? How did David, the promised future king of Israel, how did he go from that is your why, that is your purpose, to I just want to get away from Saul? You've been there too. You've said things like, hey, I just want to get through this relationship. I just want to get it to Friday. I just want to get to vacation. I want to survive cancer. I want to get past this divorce. Not denying that we don't have to endure in those moments, but our purpose is still to have communion and fellowship with God and be salt and light to the world. But we want to shrink our lives so our lives... Look at, look at David's life in, in, in chapter 27. He is defined by Saul and he is driven by, the, by Saul in his life. What defines us, church? The love of God for us, Jesus over us, the Spirit in us. What drives us, church? The Spirit of God. We walk by faith. We walk in step with the Holy Spirit. We don't walk by our problems. We don't walk because of our problems. But when we allow the enemy to have that foothold, we shrink the will of God for our lives. And I'm no longer living as a Christian then. Now, here's the challenge. When it was reported to Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. Then he goes to this guy named Achish and says, if I've found favor with you, give me a place in one of the towns so I can live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? And that day Achish gave him Ziklag to him and it still belongs to the kings of Judah today. So the Philistine ruler of the area gives David a, a territory and David stayed in that territory a year and four months. So David's plan works I am no longer a Christian when I become interested in what works for me over what God requires of me that's that life hack utilitarian faith hey this works for me this is our culture right does that work for you good good for you you do you then baby right God is interested in a relationship with us God is not a life hack for us. He's life to us. So whenever our faith becomes what works for me instead of what God requires of me, we've lost it. You know, what would have worked for David is to pick up the spear and kill Saul right then and there, and all this thing would be over, right? But that wasn't God's way. That wasn't what God required. That wasn't obedience. So I'm not living as a Christian when I become, hey, this works for me over what God requires of me. And then it gets worse. David becomes a marauder and a raider and an attacker. And he, whenever he attacked the land, he did not leave a single person alive, man or woman. He took the flocks, he took the herds, the donkeys, the camels. Then he came back to Achish, and he did not let a man or woman live to be brought to Gath. For he said, or they'll inform on us and say, this is what David did. This was David's custom. During the whole time, he stayed in the Philistine territory. He's a murderer. He's an he's a unjust war crime committer. And so his enemy, or the Philistines, who were their enemies, trusted David, thinking since he has made himself repulsive to his people, Israel, he'll be my servant forever. And this is a sticky situation. We'll deal with that in chapter 29. And uh, here's what's going to happen. I'll go ahead and go to Chronicles. David, one day, after he becomes the king, this is way looking down the road, he's going to become the king. He's going to say, God, I want to build a temple for you. And God's going to say, David, I can't let you do it because you've shed too much blood. There's a consequence, right? I am not 
acting like a Christian behave when I am not paying attention to my sanctification. Sanctification is this goal God has for us to set us apart. We called some things consecration during sacred assembly. And it's us looking more and more like Jesus and less and less like we did pre-Jesus, right? When I'm not paying attention that God wants me to look more like Christ, that God wants me, and that doesn't happen instantaneously. When I forget, hey, the goal of this conversation is not to be right. It's not to put someone in their place. The goal of this conversation is to look like Jesus. When I, when I have a reaction, it's not to invent. It's not to express my anger. It's not to give people a piece of my mind. It's not to tell those people how it is. It's to look like Christ. When I come up with my budget, it's not to maximize my pleasure. It is to look like Christ. You're never more like Christ than when you give when i when i date when i do when i interact with the opposite sex it's not to get what i want necessarily biologically it's to look like christ to that person and show that person christ and that's what marriage is designed for husbands and wives we show each other christ we remind each other of christ whenever we quit paying attention to our sanctification we are no longer acting like a christian now all through this message, I think there's a high percentage of us, and I'm one of them, and you recognize there's a battle that you have to fight. And I want to say this to us. The battle of being a Christian, because in America, listen, let's just be honest, it's easy to become a Christian. There's some places it's deadly to become a Christian. But in America, there's a cost to acting like a Christian or being a Christian. And so there's a battle either way you look at it, becoming or being. The battle of being a Christian could actually be part of our assurance. Because what's better than no battle within it's the battle within. Because if there's, listen to me, look at me, look at me, look at me. If there's no battle going on inside of you, it means your flesh is in complete control of you. And therefore, you're not a Christ follower yet. If there is a battle, and, 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 I, and I spoke about a lot, and you're like, oh, that's me. That's my life. Praise God. Because the Spirit has some territory in here. And he's going to get complete victory. And we cooperate with him. And we fight in the hope that the best is yet to come. But there's some of you, and, and maybe as I've been talking, you're like, I don't know if I'm a Christian. And you've, maybe you've tried hard and it's nothing. Listen, before you can be a Christian, you have to become a Christian. Before you can even get to this thing called sanctification, God has to justify you, declare you not guilty in his sight of the sins you've committed. God has to pay a price for you to be freed from the clutches of the dominion of darkness. And God has to make you his sons or his daughters and pay that price. And that has all been done in and through Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for you. But you have to receive that by faith and say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and King and my Savior. 
as best I know how, I'm going to give you the steering wheel of my life. That's sanctification. I, I commit God to being sanctified. I commit to becoming more like you as best I know how. It's not going to be perfect, but I'm moving in a new direction. If that's you, say yes to Jesus right now. Let us know. Get baptized. Get in the Word. Get in a Bible study. The best is yet to come. If you're here and you're like, Matt, I'm in the middle of this battle. Praise God. The battle has been won. So we fight, but we don't fight for victory. We fight from it because we know who our king is. Let's pray. So God, two prayers that I'll lead, and there may be others in people's minds and souls. First, God, is for the person who says, Matt, there's no fight in me. So I'm not a Christian right now. But I want it. I want him. I want Jesus. I see what he did for me on the cross. I see how he loves me. I want to be part of his family. I want to be part of his kingdom. I want to have a purpose that's eternal. I want to be a part of a family that's forever. Jesus, I want you. That's you. You say yes right now. In your own words, your thoughts to his heart. You're praying to him. And he's already said yes to you, but you got to give him your yes. Look to him and be saved. Look to him now as King, Lord, and Savior. Look to him as your rewarder and your prize. Look to him as your leader and your guide. And God's already said yes to you, and praise God. Let us know that you made that decision. Let us know that you exercised faith this weekend. We'll come alongside you. We'll fight now with you. God, I know there's other people. And they're fighting like David. Some days there's chapter 26. Some days are like chapter 27. But God, we look to you right now and we say, God, we thank you for the privilege of being a Christian in a fallen and broken world. We thank you, God, that we have the Holy Spirit in us and greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world renew us right now in this fight of faith to the glory of your son's name the name above all names and the name in which we pray